My name is Lucy and you are listening to the Polymer Week podcast. Today with Cynthia Tynepple about her passion for polymer, publishing books and the history and future of this material. She tirelessly scores the internet for a daily dose of inspiration from all over the world, which she brings us in her best-known project Polymer Clay Daily. First of all, I would love to say a huge thank you for being a part of the Polymeric Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk with you and to get to know you a little bit more because I feel like that these conversations is actually a really nice way to meet someone in a different way than just looking at the work behind. And obviously you have been in the Polymeric community for many years and I'm always very curious about its history. So what was it like when you first started working with Clay? Well, it, it was early, probably in the late 80s. Um, I discovered it um, because my daughter had a dollhouse and she wanted some food and some furniture and some things. And I thought, oh, this should work. And I thought, oh, this is pretty cool stuff. And I it just intrigued me as a medium, but... Um, I went to the Museum of Modern Art gift shop in New York and I saw a Ford and Forlano piece in the gift shop and I thought, uh-huh. I know what that stuff is. How did they do that? So it was very young and it was very Wild West. I mean, people were just starting. So there was a lot of excitement and you know, um There was a national guild that was just starting at that time in Washington as a part or a spinoff from the Beat Society in Washington, D.C. So we had a lot of very um, diplomatic wives and, uh, you know, people who had traveled the world. So it really started out, you know, in a kind of a worldwide setting. They would come to Washington for a diplomatic tour and... And that's kind of how it started. Some months ago, I actually bought, if you remember, Bully Informer, like the newsletter <laughs> that was printed by the Guild at the time. So I bought like 100 copies. <laughs> I just bought all of them. I wanted to do some research on the history of this material. So it's kind of cool to see how things were done before, like the internet was available and everything. So how did you communicate <laughs> with other artists and how did you even connect together? Well, then we had much bigger, well, they were uh, bigger gatherings in person. That was, but we had the, the National Guild had a newsletter that went out, I don't remember, quarterly or something. And so, yes, I did that. and. It was in black and white. And I said, you can't do this in black and white. And they said, we must. We can't afford anything else. You know, we must do it. Uh, and we were online. I can't remember the name of the service. You know, there was uh, a, like a bulletin board service. Um, uh, and people gathered that way early, early on. Uh, I forget the name of the service, but 
you know, early internet okay. stuff. Yeah, yeah. So. Wow. And you probably exchange letters as well? Not really. Uh, we call. We talk to each other on the phone. Yeah, you could call. Um, yeah. And in my work life, I was... I was part of the team that set up the the uh, websites for the various agencies of the state because I worked for uh -huh. the, the state of Ohio. So I set up websites and I didn't know what I was doing, but I did it, you know. So it was, it was wow. good. That's fun. And I kept thinking, we've got to get online. We have got to get online. And everybody at that point was like, no, that, you know, we don't need to go there. So. It was a hard sell. For you, it must be a beautiful experience to see the progress of this material because you were a part of those early stages and now you can see what it became. So what would you say that is the most visible thing that's changed when it comes to Polymerically and its community? Well, obviously the global reach, you know, it, that was amazing because one year I had Uh, I could see my numbers on my website, and it was, you know, 80% U.S. And it, within a couple of years, I could, you know, I, they would show where in the world people were coming from, and it switched. It was 50-50 in no time. So, uh -huh. and because that was one of the easiest ways for people to, um, to learn about it. So... Uh, that changed quickly. Um, I think we're still sort of apologetic about the clay. We say, oh, you know, it is plastic. So I wish that, I wish that would change even more. But, um, and it's in, I mean, thanks to Elise and a whole bunch of people who worked very hard to get it in museums here. Um, you know, it's, it's in many museums in the U.S. That's actually my dream to do a trip one day and to visit all of those museums to see on my own eyes what is placed there. Because I can imagine that this is truly a wonderful experience when your medium is getting the recognition among other mediums as well. That's pretty important what Alice Winters did and many others to make that happen. Yeah, and she worked for for quite some time. I mean. What you don't know is that it takes quite a bit of money to get into a gallery, you know. Uh -huh. they, you can't, they don't just come and find you. Uh, I mean, maybe as an individual artist, but as an art form, um, you really have to show the community support behind it. So it was quite an undertaking for her, but she was relentless in doing I can imagine that you are also a collector of other polymer clay pieces, right? I am. From other artists. I am, though when I started, I didn't have much money to spend on them. But yeah. I feel like I'm surrounded by friends. And that was mostly <laughs> yeah. upstairs, but all over my house. I live with polymer. I see people, even people who have passed, you know. Well, when it comes to your artwork, We can actually say that you breathe and live with polymer clay all the time. You started incorporating the polymer clay into the wood thanks to the collaboration with your husband. But there is no secret that you have a polymer clay incorporated to your home as well and all those decorations and your pavement and everything. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit more about what it looks like there? When 
people come who haven't seen it before, that's when I realize, oh, I guess we do have a lot, you know, because people will will be very surprised. But I, for me, it's it's what I wake up to. It's what I keep working on. It's what I keep shifting around. Um, oh, I have a new Bonnie Bischoff piece. I'm very proud of, and you know, so keep adding things to it. Luckily, my husband had this house, and he was he was his family was in the military. So he won't move. He moved all the time as a child. So he won't move. So, and because he's a woodworker, he doesn't care if we make holes in the floor or, you know, take down a wall or so he's, he's quite happy with that. So sounds like a dream for everyone. Yeah, it, it is. It's a little frightening when I say, oh, I think I'd like something over in that corner. And he'll say, okay, how tall, how big, you know? What and I'm I think oh I think I want something I'm not sure I mean he's he's a guy if if it's on his list he will finish it he will do it that's very cool well how difficult is it for you to bake things when you decorate some atypical products or parts of your home oh I use a heat gun usually it's only a sixteenth of an inch or less you know I so I can get very thin slices. And um, I, I can, my hands can tell when it's done, you know. Uh-huh. So usually I don't like to leave a piece sitting around unbaked. So I will give it a yeah. first bake, you know, as long as I can stand it. Or usually a half hour, you know, just sitting there, turning the bowl, turning the bowl, turning the bowl. So then I, uh, then I come back later and do a second bake. And I can feel where it's still spongy, you know, if it's, you can, I guess my my hands just know when it's when it's done. Wow, that's, that's a nice way of doing that. I saw a few photos of your home. I remember those wonderful stairs decorated by Palmer, <laughs> right? With some kind of galaxy pattern. Yeah. And so many bowls. And I, I imagine your bathroom, there must be like so many details everywhere. <laughs> it's like awesome. Yeah, sometimes I worry when people spend a lot of time in the bathroom. It's like, are you okay? And I'm, like, I'm just looking. <laughs> I'm just looking. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I've gone overboard. I don't know. I, 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 I may have gone too far. I don't know. Like your home is your biggest masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure it's wonderful there. Yeah. Well, what are your favorite tools and polymer clay techniques that you enjoy the most? I've always liked extruding. Uh, strangely, I hate, I can tell you what I hate. I hate huh. alcohol inks. For some reason, I don't like to get them yeah, on my... Yeah, it's messy. Yeah. And I, I'm not, I can be a dirty girl, but I, something about the inks I don't like. Um, surf surface treatments i love how they look but again i can't control them maybe that's it i can't control where they go so and i was uh you know a layout artist a paste up and layout artist back in the day and a graphic artist and so i like geometrics and you know it feels like paste up to me oh you you're too young for that but Uh, what else do I like? I like inlet, uh, canes of any sort, really, but usually the, the neat and tidiness of, in, of uh, extrusion is, 
compelling for me. Wow, that's nice. I actually find it quite boring. <laughs> so we, yeah, I can't believe I hate at that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Like, I haven't extruded like anything for so many years. You're kidding. Uh, like, I, I don't work with that that much. Yeah, sometimes when I need to create a base for some bangle from scrap clay or something. But, you know, maybe it's because I spent my whole childhood by doing that. I don't know. <laughs> That's the reason. Uh, I, I believe that one day I will come back. Uh, but there is like the stage of preparing the clay, putting it into the extruder, then putting it out, extruding that. Sometimes I feel like that it takes so much time, you know, that it's like... Uh, it's like a process, you know, but I can, sure. I remember and I have in, in front of my eyes here wonderful canes and I remember those shapes and the simplicity in that, but also a wonderful color palette that you incorporate into your artwork. And I'm curious if there is some sort of African inspiration or something that inspires you to create such color palettes. I've traveled a lot, so. Uh, probably more Nepal and uh, been to Africa, but I I don't know. I don't know where my color comes from exactly. How many hours do you spend in your studio nowadays? Not very much, actually. You know, maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 hours a week. Although it depends. If a, yeah. an event's coming up, then I have to spend more. But um, uh-huh. I'm, I really have moved. I don't really sell much of anything. I, I don't, uh, we have our bowls in a couple of galleries, but I'm more interested in the process and than the product. Or I'm working with women in who are incarcerated, and to me that is such a pleasure, you know, to see them come alive. To me, that's, that's the pleasure I get these days. From I don't want to make a hundred of anything. Were you always interested in community things? because I'm curious if you in the beginning felt that for you it's not going to be just about your own art, but also about sharing others' artwork and placing the joy of polymer to others. Yeah, it really was. And part of it is, it sounds, I don't know, maybe silly, that I grew up, I'm the fifth child of seven children, so uncomfortable in a group. I like being in a group. I don't like being out front. So I'm, I, and my job as the fifth child was to keep everybody talking to each other and things on an even keel. And all two of my older sisters are therapists. One's a psychiatrist and a psychiatric social worker. So, you know, building other people up, watching other people grow was part of what we learned. So it's where my, it's my comfort zone. It's a little scary because I was in a family of engineers and doctors and lawyers, and I was the arty child and they didn't know what to do with me. And my father wouldn't let me go to art school. So you built your career in like the website thing and IT, right? (laughs) Yeah, I always sort of came in the back door. I was going to be an artist, but... I might not be able to do it, you know, directly. I had to kind of sneak in. So I am comfortable working behind the scene. And I am comfortable looking at other people. And I have always 
had uh, something that told me this piece is good. And then I w- my job is to say, why it? Why does it make me feel good? What's making me feel good? And to teach myself to understand what I'm seeing. And that's been, that's been the most, and, it, and then it affects my work because I realize, oh, I like things that do this, or I like colors that make me feel. But it, it's, it's really a visceral response. It's my gut. And I, there are lots of things that I don't understand. Like some of the younger art right now, some of the scary art, I don't like to be scared. So I don't feature much of that just because it doesn't appeal to me. That doesn't mean it's not good. It just doesn't appeal. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And well, I'm curious how long it has been since you wrote your first blog post on Polymerically Daily. 2005. Wow. And someone told me I couldn't do it and that uh-huh. It would. I would have to get legal clearance from everyone for the pictures, and I couldn't talk about people online unless I had their approval. And I thought, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. And so she made me mad, <laughs> and I, that's, that's why I did it. I don't know what that tells you about me, but <laughs> if, that's if, if somebody tells me I can't do it, then everybody they do it. Yeah. Well, when, when something is daily, it requires a lot of consistency, dedication, and time as well. Have you had any difficult days where you felt like you cannot write or post anything? Yeah, I have. And I learned not to write a post if I was angry or upset. Because uh-huh. people would write in, what's wrong? What happened? Why are you upset? Yeah, they and, can feel that, right? And I wouldn't even say anything that I thought revealed it, you know. And I didn't write ahead. People will say, oh, you write all one day, you write all the posts. And I say, no, I have to. It's like bread to me. Yesterday's bread is not going to be good today. What does your day look like? Like, do you wake up and search what is going to be today's post? Um, now I just post a couple of times a week. And then I all week long I'm gathering things for the for the Studio Mojo, the weekend newsletter. Yeah, I scroll, 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 and I'm I'm waiting the whole time for something to go ding, 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 ding. We have a winner. <laughs> and and what has been fun over the years, and I'm sure you know this too, when you see and you and I see things a lot alike because I think, oh, she felt that already. When you do that to someone. Because, you know, I have a reputation and I have a consistency. Uh-huh. Then they think, oh, my God, she said I was good. And you could see somebody just take off. You know, someone's work will just take off after that. Because yeah, it's changed their lives. Yeah, yeah. It's a little creepy, isn't it? Well, I was like... 13, 14, you wrote a blog post about me and I remember very much how I felt that day <laughs> and it made me so happy, it made me very happy. So I can imagine that for every mentioned artist, it's like a birthday that day because somebody admires your artwork that day and celebrates you for what you do. So that's a very nice thing that you bring a lot of emotions to them. Yeah. Well, that's nice of you to say. Oh, I didn't know that. 
But that, <laughs> that same thing happens when I go to the prison. And they come in, they, they don't have education, they've been, not been loved very well, they've had a tough life, and they say, I can't do this. I, I don't have any art experience. I'm not an artist. And by the end of the class, they say, what I did. And one woman said, one young woman said to me, for an afternoon, I was free. You know, and I thought, that's a great gift to give someone. Do you visit the, do the prison like every single week or how does it no, work? I, I go once a month and, uh, and, uh, during the pandemic, they were locked down. They didn't even have books. Li the library was closed, everything. So it, it was very hard on them. But I go once a month, and um, they have they now have their own studio. They built a new building there, and they have a big studio in the building. And wow. it, it has everything they need. Now, they don't have blades. I can't take in glass nothing glass. I can't take metal cutters. I have to take plastic cutter, you know. Um, so it's kind of fun for me to think, um, given that, what can we do? You know, that's why extruding has been really good because they're allowed to have whole, extruding yeah. tools. They're not allowed to call them extruding guns, but they can, <laughs> they can have extruders in there. So that's easy entree for them. And they do a lot of production. They sell, you know, tens of thousands of pieces a year from the, from the project. It's sold through church groups and at crafts fair by volunteer who sell their work. And then the money that they raise, there's no tax on that money either. Then that goes back into a central fund. And then when they leave, when they're released from prison, they have, they don't have an individual account, but they can get, they can request money from that fund for, you know, to have their utilities turned on or to get a driver's license or, you know, all of the other. Wow. Well, how did you find out about this? project like were you invited or was it your idea to no it, it was not my idea it was Jackie Burns Jackie was a a guard at the prison and um, then she was in the administration and then she became a chaplain you know at, at the prison so she spent I think 18 years in that prison in the various prisons and she be, she saw polymer and started making things. And she thought, wait a minute, there aren't many tools required. I think we could get a toaster oven in, you know, or a convection oven in. And so the woman um, who was the warden of the prison, the head of the prison, was when she retired, she set up this organization called Kindway that sells various crafts that the that inmates make. And um, so uh, Jackie persuaded the the warden that that um, this would work. And honestly, I could never have gotten into the prison otherwise because I don't speak the prison language. I don't understand the the you know the bureaucracy. 
It, they did it. I just jumped on their bandwagon because I saw what they were making, and it was mostly marbled stuff, you know, uh-huh. marbled and uh, very, very 12-year-old, <laughs> although you were you were a prodigy, but but very, very basic stuff. And so I thought, oh, they they will feel so much better if they raise the level of their skill. When you are visiting and teaching them for a few hours, how do you feel when you are leaving such a place? Part of it is relief because I don't, I have to give up all my identity and everything at the at the entry building. But usually I feel excited. So and try to think of what can I teach them next because they start teaching each other. They have a library. Um, people, when they clean out their studios here in the U.S., they will send me the, their tools and their things. And when, the, when someone leaves, they get a studio in a box. So they have, uh, you know, blades and sharp things and all the things they've not been allowed and clay and everything. In, in one box, and they can get started on their own. I don't like to tell them that it's a lifestyle, that they can make money this way, because I think that's very difficult. But just to make gifts at gifts for your friends, or just to make a pair of earrings you can wear and be proud of, is quite enough for them. Do you feel that they change as well at the end of your session? Yeah, they, they loosen. They lose it. At first, when I get there, they say, what color do I have to use? Because they're not used to making decisions. They don't, that they're told when to get up and when to eat and when to go to bed and, you know, everything. So this, so I have to say, here is different. Here, you make the decision. And so it's the first time they're very uncomfortable with that. But I could make a, I could do it wrong. And I said, yes, you could do it wrong. Go ahead. I'm still amazed, <laughs> like, about the very same material I can do on a very different continent. Like, you do these sessions in prison, then there is the Nepali ladies. And it's just so cool to you. It's like a reward for me. And I believe it for you too. Like, it's so nice to see that this is like changing a world. In its own way. Yeah. So it's very nice that the polymer yeah. can do that. It's one person at a time, but that's okay. You know. And I bring yeah. what's fun for me is to bring someone in. Like um Ron the uh-huh. hockey wants to come. We're waiting for his paperwork. You know, you have to go through paperwork to come in. Everyone who has come in, I brought what Lindley and Emily Squires Levine and Julie Ix in one at one time. And they were they were terrific. And with they're scared to death, and I, you know, I I like that they're scared because they're like, you know, <laughs> the doors closed, you know, and and you had to leave your purse and your phone and everything, and all of a sudden you're in prison. And so Better. I like it when they're scared, and then within 15 minutes, with the women, they realize I, they start to say, they're just like me. You know, and they get all intrigued, and everyone wants to come back. No, I want to go as well. One day, please. <laughs> it sounds very nice. Yeah. Well, I, I think I'm going to search for something like this in my country as well. 
it must be very cool experience and i was thinking we have here a children's house and i was actually trying to contact them and create something like that but what stopped me <laughs> the first day was that i offered some material things i guess it was like brand new books about different topics than polymer clay so they were very i would say meaningful for them and they were like no we we have more than enough i was like wow that's strange like i i guess the reality can be a little bit different when it comes to such projects and i also guess that we know very little how these projects and the prison and children's house can actually feel like so when stepping in and having such experience it must be very cool and enlightening to know that from your own perspective yeah but i have found and i work with women once they come out and i have grand plans and i had a great idea but the more attached you are to your idea the worse it's going to be because it really needs to be generated by them it needs to grow as it's going to grow and and yeah. if you have a they need to be part of that right right yeah. and for me to just say this is what we're going to do never works you are kind of busy right what are you doing how <laughs> does your day look like well uh right now i'm trying to i have an old youtube uh channel and channel? yeah okay. yeah and my grandsons came and they every night they watched youtube and i thought oh that's very cool and uh we watched mostly animals or people falling on their faces or that sort of thing but i thought oh this is good and then i kind of got hooked into what going to gallery views you know going to shows and just walking through no no audio at all just walking through and i thought oh this is cool you know when i first got started i had a vimeo channel and you still have because i i found it yeah. a few months back and i was watching all your older videos <laughs> so it's like well there, there was vimeo and there was youtube and i thought i'll go with vimeo well i bet on the wrong horse you know so my youtube channel is is terrible old 10 you know years and years old so i thought i need to get that in shape and i have 164 videos and i think some of them need to be seen like um i think judith skinner talks about how she developed the skinner blend yeah that's a very nice video yeah mm -hmm. it's a terrible i mean the quality is not great yeah but it's like a historic piece i would say it's very important we need to know that i have tori hughes i have you know lot uh lots of people that some judy belcher you know who just died and so it's they people should know that they should know the characters they should know judith skinner they should know oh who brought that marie siegel start she started the pasta machine you know they should you know it needs to it needs to be somewhere you know that that information needs to be collected somewhere and that's something that i'm thinking about very often that right now when there is this new generation of polymer clay makers mainly on instagram and tiktoks i just feel that they are missing so much i mean that they don't know the history probably of this material 
and their experience is different. How do you think that we can change that to maybe share more information with them so they can experience the same way we do this community? I'm kind of looking forward. So I want to put the things there so that they will exist and those and those resources will be there for when they're ready. Because at a certain point you think, oh yeah, I'm done. I'm done with slabs. I need something more. Or, yeah. you know. It's going to change one day, right? Yeah. And, and they'll think, I wonder how this happened. Or, I, you know, I, you can't bring people to a point where they're not ready, you know. But you can have the resources there so that when they are ready, they can say, oh, here's the answer. So, yeah. Uh, and I believe that they will also come across your book which is an important thing in your community. Your book called Polar Clay Global Perspectives, that shows a lot of insight. Well, it did in 2013. <laughs> was it like, was it no way? Yes. No. Is it going to be like 10 years celebration? <laughs> I was thinking like five years, maybe. But you did such a good job with the graphic design and everything. It looks like very modern, like this age. Random House was my publisher, and Judy Belcher introduced me to them and got them to support me. So there was quite a story there. But um, anyway, I I have another book that I've been working on through the pandemic and and all of that. So I a scrapbook, a book about scraps and using scraps. Wow! And, yeah. But it may become a YouTube channel. Rather than, than an uh, oak, yeah, yeah, because yeah, the, but there is something about books like I, I think it's wonderful medium and we should keep that in yeah. our lives. Yeah, but the publishers are yeah. publishing books like they used to. Well, have you thought about the crowdfunding or something like that with your audience? Maybe. Yeah, I'm I'm still thinking, but it's a, it's a hard process. The thing that gets me is that I look at your magazine, which is so beautifully photographed. And I think you. everything I have for my book is taken offline. And that means I'd have to set up shoots for... The truth about the magazine is that we do a lot of, a lot of editing and a lot of work in Photoshop. And you do as well. I can imagine you creating the white backgrounds every single day for your blogs. Now it's it's automatic. It's... Uh, is it all automatic? Yeah. Well, we cannot do it the automatic way because when it's printed and the size is bigger, it needs to be like super perfect. Right, right. So a lot of work is just like doing manually. And the fact is that I play a lot with backgrounds, with blending and everything. Shadows. The piece. Yeah. Like look very outstanding when it's printed. It's very different than just looking at the pictures on your screen. So sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm just wondering what the magazine would look like if we have done none of this editing part. Like it would be totally different. It would be probably a disaster. And that's something that people don't see. But every other magazine that we've has been out on Polymer uh, has not done that as nearly as well as you have. You're like huge yeah. leap ahead. So don't stop. I would stop. <laughs> I would stop. You had a little video somewhere on your site a while back of your printing the your printing process. Uh -huh. 
It's uh-huh. like one off. I mean, it's not a huge place with a big press. It's a little press that I Well, no, there is the thing. The cover of the magazine is printed on a different smaller press machine. Okay. And the main part, the bigger part of that is on those huge machines. And when okay. we were shooting this video, they were like, Okay, we can set up this thing to be working for the video. But actually there is one video when they were using like the huge machine that they usually do. So it's quite a long process and obviously we are disturbing when we want to shoot videos or take photos. So they are very kind. So they let us to do that. And yeah, it's like a cool process, but it takes so much time. So sometimes it's not easy to, you know, like take some sort of footage of the whole process in a few hours. Yeah. It's very long term thing. Well, I'm curious also about your studio mojo. You can imagine that bringing such a huge amount of content, it can take a lot of time. So how do you kind of figure out your schedule? How do you prepare for those newsletters and such a manner of content that is putting out? Well, I, I found this new bubble up, you know, which has its limitations, but it's awfully easy. So as I go along and Lindley helps me too. She's going along, she's looking. And we throw them into a folder, just an online folder. And at the end of the week, actually, that's what I should be doing now. I uh, I look in the folder and I think, oh God, I hope there's enough stuff there. I don't know. I don't know what's there. And it, the process has got, I used to hand code it, you know, in HTML and all of that. And that was a nuisance. And so, but I haven't, I haven't pushed the uh, Studio Mojo very much. I have, we have a nice group of, you know, a few hundred people, but I've, I'm not really, I haven't really pushed it because I don't, I don't know how long I want to do this. Do I want to do it forever? And during your career in the polar gray world, did you ever had some sort of help from other people? I mean, like someone who would work with you on a daily basis? No, it was what I wanted to do. I was very fortunate, I thought, you know. And there are a lot of people who help, and there are a lot of people, there are still people who will say, when I ask a question, I need some information, and people will send it to me. They'll do the research for me. So so that's wonderful. Yeah, I feel like I'm always in a big group. I don't know about you, but when I started doing these podcasts and the connection that I got thanks to that with the person, it brought me like a totally different energy and some sort of inspiration as well. Because for a long time, I was kind of hidden in my studio, in my own world. And it feels, let's say, honestly, it feels super lonely when you do all of this stuff, but you don't actually connect with anyone And for those two years of the epidemic and everything, it was more difficult. So I believe that being a part of some sort of community, it makes everything just better. You know, I, I'm trying to talk with totally different artists and guests. I would assume, or I feel like that the polar gray community is divided to some sort of group. So you have like sculptors working with cosplay mainly, then the Instagram reels. So somehow I'm trying to cover all of that to just show that there is like more into that and all of those groups can 
get some idea. Yeah, it's not just earring. I don't do a lot of sculpture. I try to sprinkle that in because I know there's a big community out there that like it. But sometimes I don't understand it, particularly, you know, the, the monsters and stuff. I was just like, I don't understand this. And things, you know, mouths and tongues sticking out. And I, I think it's okay that we don't understand such things because your taste is what you present on your website and I do the same in the magazines. And sometimes it's actually very difficult because you have to say no to a few things. So right. in my experience, I get a lot of emails and messages on social media. How can I be in the magazine or what should I do for it? So do you have any any kind of experience like that as well? Or did you have during those years? People will send me things and I'll say, thank you very much. You know, keep going. This is great. Keep going. You know, yeah. and, and basically it's like, that's a nice way of saying you're not quite there yet. But I, I like to encourage people. And honestly, as well, as I don't like to say as I grow older, but it's not the beauty of, it's not the perfection of the piece. In fact, sometimes perfection just bores me. Yes, the finish is excellent, but it, there's no heart. I don't feel them, you know? So I think that perfection is overrated. But how do you, how do you teach people that they've got to put themselves into it? It takes a lot of time. I guess that's the only advice that we can share with them. Yeah. Do you remember the feeling when you realize after a few years that yeah, this is something that I made that, that I'm truly proud of and I will be in next years as well. Yeah, yeah. But I remember, uh, you you probably don't know Kathy Ampt, but she was a tutor, I mean, a teacher early on. Uh-huh. And we had a, a week-long gathering in Seattle. And um, our first night, she had us bring five things we liked, just a little tchotchke, uh-huh. you know thing and we put them on we didn't know each other so we put them on the table on a pile and we had some post-it notes and the whole group was to walk around all these piles and say what does this pile of things say to you what do you know about this person from this pile of things and when I came back to my place I thought oh they know a whole lot about me from this pile of trinkets you know they know oh she likes this the look the color red you know da, 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 da. and it scared me half to death I thought well I had been a very quiet artist you know I didn't let my stuff be seen and I realized my stuff is seen even in the trinkets I choose you know I am revealing myself anyway, so uh, so I might as well own it, you know? It's me, you know? But it was very frightening, because I thought I was hiding. And it's not just art, but in everything we choose, you know? The, the, the glasses I put on, or the, you know, the earrings I choose, whatever, the colors I gravitate to. They all say something about me, and you might as well own it. That's me. 
Well, that brings me one question. Well, because you are, I would say, a popular person in our community and many people know about you. So have you ever felt like you need to act somehow so you can keep your identity the way you want in front of such a huge audience? No, no. I There's still a little voice in my my head that says, oh, don't get too full of yourself. Oh, don't. Yeah, I'm doing that in... <laughs> In front of every interview or anything that feels like, wow, I'm getting there. I'm just like, just stay humble, stay humble. You need to stay humble. <laughs> so I'm just trying because sometimes, I don't know if it ever happened to you, but sometimes we can speak a lot. We can talk about ourselves and then you see the footage and you're like, oh, no, no, it was just like too much. And you're not sure about the content that you put out there to the world. So it's sometimes scary. It is scary. It is scary. But you're doing such a terrific job, and I have to hand it to you. And I was so touched by your that post. You explained your situation a bit more. Thank you. I thought that was very brave and very insightful. And, you know, you, you owned it, you know, which is half the battle. I don't know. Maybe perhaps I have been a part of this through my whole childhood so this is like all I know but I'm just like slowly trying to find my own voice in those personal things because you get some sort of I don't know like an identity you you sort of build things around and people assume yes that's who you are and the reality can be a little bit different and that's something I wrote in the article as well that I'm always looking at Forbes magazine and others and there is like you know, a chart of the most, I don't know, rich people in the world and everything. And I'm just like, okay, what is the story then? Like, what is their sacrifice so they could get to this spot or this place where they are right now? So I'm thinking about it as well, that it's kind of nice to be honest about what is going on, that it's just not like what we see on social media, but there is a lot of going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So have you ever felt in your career with Paul Markley, did you ever have like a bad times where you felt like, okay, I may not be able to continue on doing what I want, what I do? Yeah, I, yeah, I've cut back and cut back and, and I realize, I think, oh, what will they think of me? And nobody really notices. And I think, oh, yeah. well, never mind. So, yeah. so, uh, I, I'll do what I have to do. There were a couple of rules I've had all along. I don't allow shitstorm. If somebody sends a snarky remark or a, I, I don't allow those to go through. I, I make the choices. You know, I realized early on that if I put a cat up every day, I could increase my numbers a whole lot. You know, uh, just if I just specialized in cat art. You know, you just have to kind of set some boundaries and say, no, I don't do that. And I always, if someone would say, oh, they're copying me, and I would say, here's the address of that person. You may contact them. But, uh -huh. you know, I wouldn't put the comment up, but I would say, here, you need to talk to that person directly. And I cannot tell you how many times people said, I contact the person. They had never seen my work. We realized we could be great friends because we think alike, you know, and it turned into something good. 
But if you put those things online, it's an awful mess. But there is some sort of motivation when somebody creates a similar piece as you do. Sometimes when I feel like I found something super exciting and I perhaps teach that as a class project, I feel like that I'm sharing some sort of treasure, but it sort of motivates me to create better things next time. So I'm always like, okay, let's share that and it will give me to the table to create more, experiment more. Yeah. So it's kind of exciting, but it's about the mindset, I guess. Right. It can be kind of nipping at your heels, you know, keeping you moving forward because yeah. somebody's always nipping. I can't spend a lot of time thinking about those things because I, I have seen them snowball into big fights and ugly things. And I think, oh, it's too much. I think it was easier perhaps in the beginning, like when Judith Skinner figured out Skinner Blend, it was like obvious that it was her idea. But right now you cannot actually own anything that you put out there. Yeah, so maybe it's less of an issue today. How do you feel when you are sharing a lot of others' artwork and you are not currently in your studio making something? I'm the cheerleader. It's been very good for me. I've traveled the world. I've made lots of friends. Yeah. It's okay. You know, I, don't, I don't feel any competition. What you have done for this community is so important and always has been that I, not just me, but I assume that every member of this community appreciate your dedication and your time and effort that you put into every single article that you share on your website. I also believe that you changed a lot of things and that you kind of put on the silver plate things that should be visible for others, which is a very important thing so they can see some sort of movement or progress. So thank you for everything you have done. Well, uh, yeah, and I started out making little cakes and pizzas. And I had no concept that, that that it would make money for me, that I would travel the world, that I would meet people, that I would go to prison. Who knew? I mean, I could never have predicted that. So many wonderful things. Thank you so much for being my guest today. And it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you.